Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Level Agency's Test, Learn, Grow podcast. I'm your host for today, Dale Reether, digital marketing lead here at Level Agency. Today, I'm joined by three amazing guests who all have a tremendous amount of experience in B2B marketing. Carol Everson, area managing partner and CMO at Chief Outsiders. Jeff Loeb, partner and CMO at Chief Outsiders. And our very own Dave Baps, VP of Agency Development here at Level Agency. Today, we're going to deep dive on ABM strategies for the new B2B landscape by touching on the current state of how B2B buyers buy and how that has changed in recent years, challenges we often see companies face when shifting to an account-based approach to new customer acquisition, and how companies should be thinking about ABM as we head into 2024. And with that, I'd love to welcome in our guests, Carol, Jeff, Dave. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for taking the time to join me today. Well, thank you. Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, Dale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Dave, people hear from us all the time. If you're an avid listener, you hear mine and Dave's voices constantly. So I'd really like to start today by hearing a bit more about Carol and Jeff's own journeys to becoming CMOs at Chief Outsiders. So Carol, let's start with you. Um, tell us a little bit more about your story in Chief Outsiders. How'd you get here and what gets you excited about the topic of uh, account-based marketing? So I recently joined Chief Outsiders about three and a half years ago. And um, all of us are former practitioners, mostly have had CMO roles in other companies. And over time, we ultimately got to the point that we realized we would be very valuable helping small and mid-market companies blend the services and capabilities that we developed in some of our larger um, and corporate roles. So happy to be here and excited. I've done a lot with account-based marketing. I've also been in sales and marketing myself. So the notion of orchestration between sales and marketing is pretty key to me. Awesome. Appreciate that uh, background. I'm super excited to hear from both you and Jeff and the perspectives that you have talking to so many different companies as fractional CMOs um, and just hearing some of the stories around the challenges, success stories that you see with a lot of these. So Jeff, I want to turn it over to you too. Uh, just to hear a little bit more about your background, how you got here today, um, what gets you excited about ABM? Sure, absolutely. So um, I've been with Chief Outsiders for for about five years uh, now, and uh, I really focus uh, exclusively on SaaS companies and technology uh, companies, uh, which is a really good fit for an ABM strategy. Uh, I've been in um, in marketing for about 25 years, really always in technology, startups, large companies, uh, small companies, uh, and have really kind of seen um, uh, the whole kind of maturity and growth of the uh, of the of the industry, and seen uh, different uh, different go to market strategies, which is what ABM really is to uh, uh, to me. Uh, and uh, ABM just um, uh, is a uh, you know, it's, it's often referred to as zero waste marketing uh, because it's so hyper focused um, on on your ideal customer profile uh, and uh, and the orchestration and alignment between sales and and, and marketing. Uh, and um, I think it's just a it's a it's a great, a very effective uh, strategy in the time period we're in right now. Couldn't agree more. Well said. Um, you really hit on something that I want to start off with, where. It- you said you saw you've seen the maturity and the changes that have happened over the past 25 years when it comes to B2B marketing. I'd really like to start digging into the meat of this. Um, and I think a great place to start is the why before we get into the how. So I think the reason ABM has really hit the forefront of B2B marketing 
and just revenue generation overall and go to market uh, is because the B2B buying landscape has massively changed over the past couple of years. Buyers are more in do, doing more research anonymously, um, and that's making traditional lead gen tactics that we saw work um, probably in 2010 to 2015 um, a lot less effective. I want to dig a little bit into what has changed. Like, why is that? What are we seeing in the B2B, mar- B2B buying landscape that has made these lead gen tactics less and less effective? I would argue, I think, Jeff, you're going to cover one piece, but what I would argue is that um, the buying process itself has gotten more complex with the number of buyers that participate in the buying process. So, for example, think of a technology buy. You've got the CTO, you've got the chief security officer, you have reviews from legal, the number of players that are involved in a purchase decision of any sizable asset, especially if it's technology-based, is significant. And those players aren't normally the players that you walk into a sales conversation with, but they can submarine your deal. So ensuring that you're reaching all the buyers in the buying process is something that we had to worry about that before, but it's just gotten so much more complex. Absolutely. Um, I think another piece of this is people now that they've been getting marketed to for so long know what's going to happen when they fill out a form and become a quote unquote lead. Like that's triggering them to get into a sales motion, even whenever they're not ready. So whenever we're putting up gates behind, uh, in front of things and forms, like we're actually just driving people away from actually consuming the content and getting the value that we want to give them because they know that as soon as they submit that form, they're going to get 10 spammy marketing emails and probably someone calling their cell phone. I think that fundamentally has really changed the way that we need to think about how we're presenting content to people um, and how we're ultimately measuring success if we aren't doing it based off of how many lead forms have we got filled out. Yeah, I think that that's so important. And, and, um, you know, I, I look at, I, I marvel at the success of the inbound movement over the last decade, uh, you know, led by HubSpot specifically, um, but really kind of instantiating this idea, which we, we now take for granted, which a dozen years ago, you know, uh, was being evangelized, you know, by, by, by a little tiny company, uh, HubSpot. Um, and the whole notion that we should be publishers, we should uh, develop a lot of content. People will find us. They'll come to us. Uh, then we can nurture them uh, them along. Um, and uh, it's it's been um, kind of a, a, an awesome movement. But like a lot of movements, you know, the pendulum tends to overswing. And uh, I would say that that certainly inbound is, is remains incredibly important and has to be part of the mix. It's it 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 can't be everything though. Um, and uh, as you were saying, people know what happens when they fill out um, a form, um, and uh, they know um, uh, 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 what kind of happens in that in that in that motion, uh, and it isn't as effective a- any longer. It's harder and harder to uh, build out the SEO content that gets uh, people to your 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 pages, especially if you're a smaller company, maybe competing against very deep resourced uh, 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 companies. Um, so uh, ABM, that's one of the, the interesting ways that, that ABM you know, fits, fits in, uh, is it allows us uh, to um, be hyper-targeted um, and really go after. And the other, you know, the other challenge of an inbound strategy is you get a lot 
of noise, right? You get a lot of people filling out forms that aren't in your ICP uh, that become clutter, you know, and 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 noise in the in the system. Um, so, you know, the whole idea of kind of flipping the funnel with uh, with ABM and uh, rather than kind of targeting the, that broad set of inbound, you know, people that have raised their hands, let's target just those companies that are most interesting to us. And as Carol was saying, you have these buying groups, so let's tie, uh, t- um, target the, uh, the, the specific buyers and influencers in a very um, targeted way, and it makes for an, an efficient process. And just one final thought here. The other kind of key thing that ABM addresses um, and, you know, in terms of the evolution of, 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 of go-to-market also is the integration and coordination and alignment between sales and marketing. Uh, so, you know, every organization always struggles with the alignment between sales and marketing. And ABM is an awesome way to orchestrate those, those activities and drive really good alignment. If I could hop in and add one more thing, um, yeah, people are forming opinions about companies regardless of what we're doing. Um, with all of the review sites that are out there, with Captera, G2 Crowd, all of those sites and online reviews, the, the buyers that you're interested in most likely know something about you. And uh, you, it may not be something you want or even may not be accurate, but it's really important to understand that, you know, back to the notion of things have changed, things have changed and people are forming opinions about you that have nothing to do with your organization reaching out to them. Totally. I mean, the the amount of trust that has come from communities building online, like, and that's essentially what G2 and Captera is, right? It's a community of people looking for softwares or technologies and they're trusting peer recommendations more and more as opposed to what the brands are saying. So I think that's a really good point, Carol. And I think some of the stuff that Jeff was talking about is a really good segue into what are some of the challenges that the marketers face when adopting ABM? Two things that I heard, Jeff, were one is goals, two is alignment. I think goals have really made us shift the pendulum the other way as you were describing because whenever the goal is to, oh, we have to get 5,000 leads because we know that X percent of them convert to an opportunity and X percent of them convert to customers, which is usually a really low percentage. In order to hit that goal, what do you have to do? You have to expand the market somehow. So that's how you start to get a lot of that waste in unqualified leads, which I think ultimately leads to misalignment and tension between marketing and sales. Um, so that's those are some of the challenges. And I think it's a big challenge to get people to shift away from that because the goals for marketing have been leads and MQLs for so long. And then it's like, okay, we're just going to dump it over to you sales and and you work these leads. And then you got sales coming back to you saying, hey, Dale, these leads, these leads suck. Um, so I would, I would love to dig in a little bit more to just some of the challenges that you all often see when it comes to kind of shifting the mindset that in the mindset shift that needs to take place to go from a more inbound lead gen strategy to a more demand gen and account-based approach. I can hop in with one of the challenges that I'm seeing, depending upon the solutions that you're selling, if you try and tie to revenue, which is what ultimately you would want to try to booked revenue. Um, when you have a product or service that maybe has a one-year sales cycle, even a six-month sales cycle, it's really hard to understand 
um, how to measure ABM and how to make sure that everyone has the patience to see the positive outcomes a year after you start the process. You have to look at what are the interim metrics that get you there and line up alignment with the executive team, with the head of sales, et cetera, that um, you know, this, we're playing for the long haul. Uh, here are interim metrics, but at the end of the day, this is really what we're trying to make happen. And that can be a challenge for, for companies that are used to kind of the, what's my ROI in 60 days type of approach. Yeah, and building building off of that point, which is a, which is an, uh, an awesome point. Um, um, the you know if you think of traditional flow inbound, you get a hand raiser, call it an MQI, marketing qualified inquiry. Um, uh, it may not fit in the ICP. They may be top of the funnel. They may not have enough buyers at intent. We've gotten good at holding on to those leads within within marketing, nurturing them until we have a lead score that you know that promotes them to an MQL, we pass those off as, as sales-ready leads. Um, so what we're handing uh, to uh, to sales is something sales-ready, right? So that's what, what sales would consider to be a quality lead. Now with ABM, in, in some ways, and of course there's some nuances around this that we can talk about with intent data, et cetera, um, but with ABM, we're reaching even further up in terms of, of the buying cycle uh, where we're reaching out to people cold um, and we, um, they may or may not be in market, and in most cases they won't be in market. You know, they you often hear the statistic, you know, two three percent of companies are in market at any point in time. So we can easily identify um, what companies fit our ideal customer profile, what the right personas are, um, but we still are re- reaching out to people that may not have an active buying cycle. So to Carol's point. You know, a lot of the people that we touch, most of the people that we touch are, are not going to go straight to a meeting. Um, some will, uh, but some will be, it'll be laying the groundwork for uh, meetings that are going to happen a year from now and making that connection uh, and, um, and um, uh, having uh, convincing executive teams to have the patience, you know, that we're on the right, right track. And being able to show like the early signs of of engagement and success, you know, are, are are all real big challenges. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's something even in our own journey at at level, um, you know, I'm responsible for sales and marketing. And so in the end, um, the buck kind of stops with me. Um, and we're very focused on revenue as a and, and pipeline as a kind of organizing principle when it comes to metrics. But um, to the point that we're, we're sort of uh, beating around right now, um, the, the, the need for patience to allow for the marketing to actually translate into sales qualified pipeline is really needed. And in order to, I think, placate folks and to a certain extent, creating that visibility in those metrics that, that show progression before you see pipeline is so essential. Uh, and Dale, do you want to talk a little bit about some of what we've been doing over the course of the past couple of months to, to try to uh, create that visibility and, and really that confidence in what we're doing today and that it's actually working? Yeah, I think, and this is the, I think this has been the hardest part is trying to convince higher level leadership that something is working when we can't point to traditional lead gen metrics that they're very used to. So I think we've been trying to 
show those early indicators of success? What does, if, if we have a content strategy on LinkedIn, what does the engagement look like? How many more followers are we getting? How much are they engaging with the content? What are the firmographics of the, those new followers and engagements to show that we're engaging the right people and that the message resonates? And I think, you know, from an account-based standpoint is showing when we target these companies that are within this segment, say our B2B ICP, which very much falls within software and technology as well. Um, how are we, the stuff that we're doing, how is that impacting how many accounts are moving from different perceived stages by showing how much they're engaging with our website or how much they're engaging with advertisement? And I think those are the, it's really a shift in metrics that you need to adopt especially higher in the funnel to show that success and the alignment on that has to be there or else you're speaking two different languages between your marketing team and your executive team, which causes a lot of friction. And creating some visibility around engagement with the right audience. Um, I think part of what we've been really pressing on is that that question around audience, like who is the right customer for us today? How do we define that, uh, that ICP? How do, how do we get more specific about the type of uh, of client that we think we can uh, we can win and that we can grow with over time? Um, I, I think that um, oftentimes companies kind of are dismissive around the importance of that work. Oh, it's easy, you know. Our customer kind of looks like this. Well, if you really press on that and and enforce um, some um, some additional depth to to answering that question. I found that a lot of executives really struggle with answering the, the second level questions on the topic of who the customer is. And if you can't get to that level, you're going to struggle in your marketing. And ultimately, you're going you're gonna to struggle with your, your retention, even if you do win that business. Yeah, that, that opens up you know, a really interesting conversation um, uh, because you're 100% right, right? So we're, we're, we're targeting... Um, particular companies in particular personas, um, and then it's with a message. Um, so really understanding the use cases that we're, that we're focused on and then aligning the message. The, I think uh, one, one of the, the challenges that, um, uh, that um, I see as I implement ABM programs, it's developing the conversation flow beginning to end in the ABM journey. Uh, because you know the way that I often think uh, of, of the, the kind of orchestrated journey is you may start off with, um, you know, it's across multiple channels. So you're starting off maybe with some advertising, uh, LinkedIn advertising, for instance, for awareness. And then maybe you move into a, uh, a series of marketing email touches. Maybe you move into some executive uh, LinkedIn touches. Maybe you move into kind of a, a series of sales touches. Maybe you have some direct mail stuff, right? So you have this whole series of stuff that we want to create a really good buyer's journey, you know, or, around, and we want to have a nice narrative that connects everything. So it's, which means that you've got to construct this conversation, this story that have, might, might have multiple paths based on personas beginning to end and align on it. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Especially when um, uh, a lot of um, uh, sales teams and and uh, kind of SDR type folks um, have a lot of their value traditionally has come from developing something that works for them. They often have the freedom 
to kind of develop a storyline you know, that works for them. So what rep A is doing might be very different than rep B. So it's hard to strike that balance between giving them the freedom to you know, express their personality, um, but also stay within the context of this conversation. And, and Jeff, what you're talking about, I think, keep me honest on this, is, is really a narrative as it relates to your selling message and how you're communicating with a prospective buyer. I think equally important is, you know, what are some of the distinctive points of view that you're going to offer to those that might not necessarily be in market, uh, who are in more of a learning mode, uh, that might take what you have to share, uh, learn from it, associate their learning with you or your brand, and and have you top of mind when it comes time to to start to think more as a buyer. But that is, I mean, I agree completely, and and. You know, because uh, we haven't talked at all about intent, and maybe we can get into that later. But because we're reaching out to people cold, they may or may not be familiar with our our brand, right? So what what salespeople will always say is, "Goodness, it's it's so much easier to connect with somebody if they know us, if they know our company, if they're familiar with our brand." So a lot of that initial. Uh, impressions that we make is just kind of connecting our us our brand, you know, to their story. So ideally, by the time in the program we get to the point where salespeople are doing outreach, you know, the ideal reaction is, "Gosh, I've been hearing a lot about you lately. You know, you guys must be really interesting, right?" So, so uh, ha- having a message that is clear and resonates and and gets tied to our brand our brand promises is. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting evolutions when I think about brand and and the power of word of mouth, especially in a platform like LinkedIn, is I think that there's so much power in the personal brand, especially of, of senior leaders in our organization. And um, to the extent that that leader or set of leaders can can offer a, a point of view that can be um, become a part of a community in a place like LinkedIn, um, that point of view and the personal, the power of the personal brand has associative uh, breadth to, to the, the the actual uh, company and in, in the the brand of the whatever whatever business is being represented by that personal brand. So there's there's such a power between those two, and I, and I think that that people on LinkedIn respond much more in a much more direct and authentic way to people than they do to brand. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that I was working with a client. I was doing an analysis um, in a professional services company and one CEO, two competitors, one CEO hasn't posted anything since December of last year. And the other had 27 posts year to date. A lot of it was LinkedIn articles hosted on LinkedIn, you know, four minute read, three minute read, all relevant topics, really high energy, and and surprisingly, um, they're growing much faster than than the other firms. So, it, like, it's a testament to exactly what you just said. Absolutely. And when you have five to ten people that are leaders of that company speak in the same language and have a slightly different perspective based on what their job function is, it just compounds and compounds. And the people that are doing content really well, and the companies that are doing content really well on LinkedIn right now, it's not coming from the brand. The brand just posts about like updates and stuff like you see their people consistently talking about it. And I think you can even see that trend materializing itself in advertising products too, 
with the onset of LinkedIn thought leader ads where you can actually promote the post, like you can promote from the personal account rather than the brand account. And our teams have already seen a huge success with those thought leader ads. I think just because the perception that it's a person talking and, and not. I, I just want to have one comment on that. I was the CMO of a B2B media company, and we did a lot of thought leadership posting in a variety of ways in our media properties. And one caution is to ensure that that content really is worthy of that senior leader and that it really is something that the people you're trying to reach care about. I cannot tell you the number of assets that we got that we had to go back to clients and say, this is not going to work for you. Uh, or we, we simply can't call this brochure a thought leadership piece. So we can't post it in our resources. We, we need to come up with something different for you. So it is really key to understand what are the thought leadership lines of thinking that back your overall business and your product value proposition so that you're both saying something interesting and guiding people toward your solution at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And something that matters to to the audience, right? You have to have yeah. something to oh, say. Yeah. And there, there's, um, there's, there's, a, there's a flip side to that coin as, as well, which um, we need to have something really interesting to say. It has to be meaningful and, and resonant, but it also matters a little bit of about who's saying it. And, and I'm, I'm saying this in, in this context that, you know, kind of going back to the idea of what are some of the challenges in ABM today and what are the challenges that we're overcoming? Um, the, 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 the world, the B2B world is so noisy right, right now. We're, we're so bombarded with, with emails and LinkedIn messages and phone calls that everything is getting filtered. So one of the big challenges is to try to figure out how to break through. So we have to have the right content to break through. And also um, executives can, uh, uh, can help break through as well uh, uh, because it's, it's just a reality that, you know, if I get an email from a salesperson, right, I'm probably not even going to read it. I'm probably going to delete it. But if I get an email from the CEO of a company, I'm more likely to take a, take, give it a little bit more, more time. So a big part of what I like to include in any type of orchestrated program is some touch, some executive level touch, usually via, via LinkedIn, um, where it's an outreach from the CEO. And we've, we have stats, right? So our, our salespeople will also do LinkedIn outreach and, and they may get you know, a relatively low percent of people that actually will connect. Uh, where the CEO will often get thirty to fifty percent of the of the LinkedIn people will will connect to them. So that's a it's it's a, it's a useful um, strategy. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, Jeff. And and I would say too, just to round out this point, I think it's invaluable to to attend things like major conferences and events in a particular industry. And you know, using one as an example, Dale and I attended the Forrester B two B event this past year. And it's, it's just such a fantastic reminder about the number of choices that are available to a prospective buyer in today's world and just the amount of noise. You know, the buzzwords that are used are, are so uh, pervasive. You know, Dale and I walked around the event and talked to other vendors and you almost got lost in the, uh, the, the jargon and you'd leave and you'd be like, 
What did they really do? The amount of times that we heard RevOps, demand gen, AI, intent was like, it was every boots bought asset. Like it was some variation of the same four words, and then you would talk to them. And it was confusing to even get cut through to like what it is they actually do. So I think it was just a good reminder for us to like simplify the message. Uh, there's so much buzzword noise out out there right now. Yeah, and and just just kind of building off of of that, right? It's such a great point. Uh, ABM can be such a great strategy, um, but good marketing is good marketing, right? You know, at the end of the day, you need to have an awesome message and an awesome value proposition. That's right. That's exactly right. And it's just an appreciation also just for the the amount of noise and the the amount of uh, the sheer volume of, of vendors that are trying to uh, angle for the attention of a prospective buyer. So for me, it's always, it's just enlightening in some ways to, to put yourself in the shoes of a buyer. Um, and and I, I think that in a lot of ways, that's driving some of the trends that we're seeing, right? Like increasingly, um, there's more research that's being conducted by the individual that, uh, because they don't want to deal with a salesperson. They, they want to get the information that they need and that they're interested in on their terms. Um, they, they want to, um, they rely on word of mouth because they trust it, right? They trust their friends and their colleagues around making a purchasing decision more than they do uh, somebody who's selling to them. So, and I don't think that those trends are going anywhere. Um, so I, I think that the notion of like trying to, to be more customized and targeted uh, with with our marketing and our sales in a way that is is going to create a better experience and one that um, has better marketing is associated with it in a more prescriptive message is what buyers want today. And and just building on on that that kind of credibility point that you were that you were you were mentioning, you know, I, I always uh, um, talk about that we as 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 a vendor. Um, have the lowest level of credibility, right? You know, uh, the lowest level of, of credibility. You know, think of how does every press release, every written, ever written start? You know, Acme Corporation, the leading provider of, right? Everybody's a leading provider. Um, so, um, so, so we have the least level of credibility. You know, who has who has more credibility? Well, there's there's influencers and, and analysts that have the next level, but as you mentioned, the folks that have the highest level. Of credibility are their peers and their network and other uh, um, uh, their the people that are like like them. Um, so how do you then leverage that, right? Because we need to we need to channel that credibility. So within an ABM program, the way I tap into that um, is through things like uh, the the content that we share and we produce. We'll have a lot of customer testimonial videos, you know, for instance. You know, so, um, you know, if you're interested, you know, hear how, uh, how, you know, somebody just like you at a company just like yours is getting value from, from this, uh, this solution. Um, so having that third party validation, uh, whether it's a research report from a forester, uh, whether it's an industry report, whether it's a customer um, giving a, a testimonial, those are all kind of key ways to tap into that credibility. I've also even used buyers, users of a solution to reach out to um, maybe someone they might know, identify via LinkedIn, 
and put in a good word as part when you're in a really one-to-one type of a scenario it's worth it for you you can't do that at scale but you can do that in more of the one-to-one world i think another way is is to have people who are uh experts or or you know seen as uh having a, a position of authority on a particular topic offer that viewpoint, right? So having having CMOs uh, get together and talk about how they think about account-based marketing and how they're For working example. <laughs> as an arbitrary example, yeah. <laughs> it is a, a really great way to to share, um, not, not sell, but share um, insights and value around a topic that sh- should be highly relevant to any B2B company today. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, that just continues to build on the, what Jeff said of like, good marketing is good marketing at the end of the day. A- ABM is a lot of things to a lot of people. And I think this kind of can cap off the challenge section and move us into how people should be thinking about ABM in 2024. And Carol, I'd love to get your perspective on this because I know in our conversations leading up to this, we've talked about this a lot. Um, what is the foundation? We talked about how a challenge for is that people try to start with the tech first, right? And really, in what we've talked about here today, you got to start with the strategy first and the go-to-market plan. What makes a good account-based strategy? And what are the things that people need to be thinking about before they just go and buy the tech? Because I, you've seen it, I've seen it. A lot of times people, they buy the tech and they think, bam, we're doing ABM, we did it, everything's going to work. What do people need to be thinking about as a prerequisite to actually purchasing any type of tech or something? The starting point has to be, what am I trying to accomplish as a business? What are sales, marketing, product together trying to accomplish? Are you trying to um, you know, target a group of accounts in an industry for new solutions? Are you trying to, um, for example, expansion? I was working with a client that all they wanted to do initially was expand their current business with eight accounts. They were selling into the pharmaceutical industry. And so th- their number of targets was very, very limited, but there are huge corporations with large numbers of potential buyers within the company. So defining what is it I'm trying to accomplish and then what's the best way to get there. And we've all heard one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. You have to look at that, but you also have to look at, okay, within our company, technically, what are we capable of doing? Are, Are we able to be very complex or do we have such a small team that we need to really carve out a small piece, start first, do that, proven the value and expand from there. So just really focusing on strategically what am I trying to happen quantitatively, what are the goals that we're trying to achieve? And and if if we start there, that will allow you to back into, okay, now based on that, what do I need to do from a technology perspective? I've talked to two companies that recently in the past couple of months that went out and bought a platform and then a couple months later, so we, we, we did ABM, but it didn't work out really well. We bought XYZ platform and you know, the results weren't great. And so we aren't doing ABM right now, but we really want to. We just can't figure out how. And, and it's because they didn't start with what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, I think for sales-led organizations, an account-based strategy really lends itself to it because it's so hard. You don't have that middle conversion point like you do with a product-led 
company, like typically when I think product led, I think the product's driving the demand solely. Um, you have a product that people can test and try through a free trial or something like that and purchase it on your own without having to go through a sales process. So there's more of those like concrete conversion points in the middle that help you to see if they are their early indicators of success for a sales led organization with a high price point service or product like a digital marketing agency or you know a cm a fractional cmo uh agency that's much more difficult because it's either like you're gating content um which we talked about earlier in this episode is not efficient you're just putting up barriers to people actually getting value and seeing the message that you're putting out into the world or at the bottom of the funnel it's like let's talk about becoming a customer there is no middle point so that middle is very messy and hard to gauge what is there movement at the top in the middle of the funnel? What are those early indicators of success? And I think the right tech can help you start to see that. And I think that's where Jeff kind of wanted to start pulling on the thread of intent data. Um, but it's also like, what companies are up on your website? How many times? How much are they engaging with your content and your LinkedIn profile? Like the, the right tech can help you get there. Um, I'm not saying that ABM isn't right for a product-led organization. It absolutely is. But I think in my opinion, that's what we were really missing whenever we tried to adopt this strategy at the beginning of the year without the right tech is like, okay, we got all this great awareness content out on LinkedIn. We can see some of the metrics around who's engaging with it, but like that middle piece just wasn't there to be able to show the metrics to the executive team around like, this is working because the message was really just, we have to wait and see, and that's not a good enough answer. Um, whenever you're trying to prove marketing spend to an executive team. So there, there's so many different threads to pull, pull on, on here. Um, uh, let me pull on on one that has to do with the sales versus product-led, uh, and then we come back to technology. So, um, you know, one of, one of the, the, you know, key things that we're driving towards in an ABM program is getting a meeting. Right, you know, that's our, our first kind of real tangible sign of success, right? So we're having all driving all this engagement and it's all towards, you know, having having a meeting. And and that's the hard part, you know, nowadays is is how do we convince people to have a meeting with us because they want to do all the, the research on their on their own. So they're not going to talk to us unless they're really ready. And in a um, in a product led growth um, uh, company, a lot of times that that um, that meeting can be a free trial or it could be a demo. So you've got this really strong thing to drive engagement. Um, uh, but for other types of organizations, like we were talking about agencies and chief outsiders and, and, and whatnot, you don't have that. Um, so this is where this, this idea of a high value offer um, comes in. Um, so uh, you know, how, do we, how, do we, how do we break cut through the noise and get people to engage with us and engage in a, in a meeting? Um, so one of the best practices is to have a high value offer, something kind of a real, a really unique reason to to meet with us. And there's different flavors of these. We can, you know, you might have some unique data to share with them or research. Um, but one of the the areas that I'm um, uh, uh, pretty heavily involved in right now is doing different types of of assessments. Um, uh, and what we've actually at Chief Outside is we've actually built out what we call our growth gears assessment. 
um, which is a 16 question assessment that helps uh, determine your readiness to 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 grow. Uh, and it's a half hour experience that we create um, that is really high value add because it shows the gaps and, and we provide recommendations. Um, so the ability to create a high value offer um, is a really unique way of, of skinning that cat for sales led organizations. I think that's a great point, Jeff, because you think about that, that meeting for a, a high value purchase. If, if you're seriously in a, in, in a buying scenario, that meeting is typically going to involve three to five people. That's a, that's a big effing deal, right? Yeah. And, and like, you know, in the context of this assessment or whatnot, it's even richer when you have three people because right. Uh, one of the, uh, a salesperson's challenge is recognizing that different stakeholders may have different points of view and trying to understand what those different points of, of view are. And that can come out in these discussions when you kind of go through these high value offer processes. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think that's a, that's a flavor of, um, of our own marketing that we're, we're starting to, to figure out, you know, I, I, I think that like the low value offer for a digital marketing agency is to, is to go say, Hey, I can go audit your, your paid campaigns. I mean, any agency can do that today. You know, we might say we could do it better, but it's, it's not that differentiating. So it's like, what can you offer? What can you create that is a lower value offer that will make that initial meeting really impactful and, and, and get those that are in it uh, really engaged to want to work with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and develop trust, right? So we all know that this process is a, is a trust-based process. You know, people want to work with people that they, that they trust and they want to feel like the solution provider is, help, is educating them and, and adding value. So if you can create a high value offer that builds that trust and gives you a vehicle to demonstrate expertise uh, can be really powerful. I was just going to say an example when I was at MasterCard um, with MasterCard Advisors, we actually um, would pull them in there at the consulting arm um, to do a profile of a bank's footprint in a market and compare their footprint to their competitors' footprints, the demographics of the two. We were showcasing the advisor services, but what we were really doing was pointing out the problems this bank had in this market from a debit card perspective and and how ultimately we could help them tackle the same problem nationwide. People were blown away. If you can do some flavor of analysis that allows the customer to see insights that they had no view into, it turns the conversation completely. That was so good, uh, Carol, and that, that key word, insights, right? You know, that the, the demonstrating insights and showing insights, that's, that's what's so powerful. And those were billion-dollar deals plus. So, yeah. It's worth a little time, effort, and money to get it done. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's pretty fascinating, too, because as I think about um, the message in, across, that can run across marketing and then sales, um, I, I do believe that as you offer more distinctive and, and more compelling points of view um, through personal brands and B2B, um, that can engage and build communities that understand who you are and and by association who your company is, that um, there's there's a there's less of a need for that type of a compelling offer because people are interested in what you have to say already. We haven't reached that point yet at level. But I do believe that that there is 
almost an inflection point where that that can happen and there's there's less of a need for that that compelling offer um, that you're describing, Jeff. Um, but I, I think it's a balance. That's uh, I think that's the promised land. I think that's when your point of view is so good that it's almost category defining. It's like when I hit when I'm in market, I'm going I'm going to that. I'm going to that. It's kind of interesting. The thought that just came to mind is, do you guys remember back, you know, in the dot-com days and uh, all of a sudden Cisco, right, the equipment manufacturer um, became known as as like the source of all knowledge on e-commerce and, and e-business, right? They had this huge e-business wing, you know, that would educate companies on, on how to go to the to the internet. And and this was from hardware company, right? Right there, yeah. You know, um, a, a thought that you know that maybe connects a few of these I- ideas together um, uh, around the the technology uh, piece, the techno- uh, the um, the the measurement and the startup piece is is like how do you get started? You know, with a with a with an ABM program. Um, because, and, and my, my experience has been that it really kind of takes six months to start seeing results in terms of, of opportunities and, and like real pipeline, right. To Carol's point about having, having patience, right. You know, so, so how do you kind of manage that and where does the technology component, you know, fit in? Um, so I'm a big advocate of getting started uh, with a minimum viable uh, pilot, um, and uh, my my rule is let's launch the MVP in two to three months. Right, so we're going to get started with our with our first phase in two to three months. Um, and my experience is you really you, in order to kind of build momentum, you got to you got to do that. Right, if if you don't if you don't get going for six months, it's gonna it's gonna die on the on the vine. So you know the first idea is this kind of minimum viable pilot, and as Carol was was saying, you know technology is not the starting point. You know the 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 pilot and the MVP is really when to 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 get your orchestration down, to get the message down, your value proposition, the alignment between sales and marketing. You know all of those kinds of of things, um, and you know there's some minimum. Minimal technology, maybe you need a marketing automation system, you know, uh, and CRM, uh, but you don't need much more more than that, really. Um, and then as you you go through, you can start layering in, you know, more more sophisticated. Yeah, Jeff, you know that is such a good point. I'm thinking back to an example with a um, company I had worked with, and um, they implemented we implemented ABM. Uh, it was a one-to-one environment. And as we were getting the meeting scheduled, we got the first meeting scheduled and the sales team dropped the ball completely because it was a very high level C-suite conversations. We were, I, you know, we were advocating for CEO type executive from this client's end to the client. Um, it got pushed down to the salesperson. The salespeople couldn't have the conversation, they all thought that their salespeople were solution selling executive salespeople that could have that detailed discussion with the CEO, have a meaningful dialogue, set up the next step in the process, could not do it. And uh, we scrapped the program immediately. 
Uh, and because we were in that MVP type of a phase, it was it was easy to scrap. We just said, okay, stop, you know, everything. We hadn't spent money on tech. We hadn't gone overboard with it. And, you know, took a step back and revisited everything. And, the, and then, you know, started again once we'd solved the problem. But you have the opportunity there to shake out something that you thought would work that simply isn't what everyone assumed it was. And that, that ties in to, um, you know, one of the frameworks, you know, that you, that, that you kind of created, um, uh, which um, was there, there's a certain level of go-to-market maturity that, that, that you need to be successful. Um, and if you don't have that maturity across the sales and marketing side, you're, you're not going to succeed. And it sounds like in that example, that maturity wasn't there. So to learn that early on. Well, actually that helped me create that framework. <laughs> <laughs> An experience, unfortunately, did. I think that is a really good note to end on. Just the way to get started is really just just get that alignment and nail down what are you trying to do, who are you trying to reach. Make sure you're aligned across marketing, sales, product before you invest in some fancy, expensive tech product. Um, because I think you're going to trip and fall at that point if if that's where you start. So, um, Carol, Jeff, a shameless self promotion here. Um, it, in case you weren't listening just now, if you need a framework to utilize to get started, sounds like Carol. <laughs> and we even have an ebook online about ABM on cheapoutsiders.com. So, yes, we, we have the framework in the ebook that Jeff and I did. <laughs> yeah, I think we can share that in the chat um, as part of the podcast when we drop it and, and share sounds it on good. LinkedIn. Absolutely. When we post this on our site, we'll definitely link out to Carol's ebook. That's a great call out there. Go check that out. Um, you're looking for a- <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate the the time and the expertise that the two of you have, have shared over the course of the past 55 minutes. It's our pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you.